The Better Understanding Podcast is an invitation, an open-hearted extended hand to increase our ability to work, lead, and live with one another more effectively. The premise and philosophy of the podcast is that it all begins with understanding ourselves and understanding others. In season one, and with some of the most successful experts and leaders of diversity and inclusion efforts in the world, we explored what it means to lead inclusively. In season two, we are bringing to life our Wall Street Journal best-selling book, Arrive and Thrive, via powerful stories, earned wisdom, and lessons learned from some of the world's preeminent leaders and thrivers. Join me, Susan McEntee Brady, as we explore how to arrive and thrive. I'm so looking forward to connecting with today's Better Understanding podcast guest, Dory Clark. And that was before I read that she'd been called an inspirational kick in the butt by her friend Forbes, recognized as a branding expert by the Associated Press, Fortune, and Inc. Magazine. She is the Wall Street Journal bestselling author of The Long Game, Entrepreneurial You, Reinventing You, and Stand Out, which was named the number one leadership book of the year by Inc. Magazine and one of the top 10 business books of the year by Forbes. It was also a Washington Post bestseller. Dory Clark has been named one of the top 50 business thinkers in the world by Thinkers 50 and was recognized as the number one communication coach in the world by the Marshall Goldsmith Leading Global Coaches Award. Dory's work has been published in the Harvard Business Review Guide to Getting the Right Job and the Harvard Business Review Guide to Networking. And she's quoted frequently in the worldwide media, including NPR, the BBC, MSNBC, to name just a few. I am very excited to announce here on the Better Understanding podcast that Dory is fittingly joining the Simmons Leadership Conference roster of keynotes, our 44th conference to speak on our theme, Renewal and Innovation, which is right up her alley. There's more, but I want you to learn from her. So Dory, welcome to the Better Understanding podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Hey, Susan, thank you. I'm so glad to have the chance to talk with you. So Dory, tell us about you. Is there anything else you want our listeners to know? Well, I write musical theater. That's one thing that I've been spending a lot of time on lately. So fun and so cool. So hoping you'd mention that. Any good cool projects you're working on right now? Well, actually, yes. I during the pandemic, my composer collaborator and I, I do the I do the lyrics, uh, worked on and completed a uh, we like to call it a sexy lesbian spy thriller musical, and it actually just won second place in a uh, a kind of big competition. Uh, we found out over the weekend, and so it it had a staged reading in Dallas earlier this year. We're going to be doing uh, a sort of you know special table reading with some great industry pros in Los Angeles. So it's moving forward. I'm pretty excited about it. Oh, congratulations. That's so cool. Okay, you're going to tell me when it comes to Boston so I can I can see it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Sorry. If all, all the people from the Huntington and the ART are uh, listening, um, we, we would be delighted to do a workshop at your theater. Just, you know, call us now. So is this why you've been called an inspirational kick in the butt? And it's not what, why, why, why did you get that moniker? I think it's pretty cool. Oh, thank you. Uh, yes, I um, a uh, a Forbes colleague was kind enough to uh, to to write an article that was talking about it was a it was a listing of the best 
business newsletters. And I was lucky enough to be one of the ones that was featured. So they had Tim Ferriss and Adam Grant, and, uh, and I was one of them as well. And one of the reasons that was especially meaningful to me is I know, I think we all know from personal experience that, frankly, a lot of newsletters are pretty boring. They're pretty pro forma. They're these kind of recitations that literally only a mother could love because it's like, well, I did this, and then I did this, and then I did this. It's like, oh my God, does anyone care? And so I really have uh, have spent a lot of time thinking through how to create a newsletter experience that is really value added for people and gives them news that they can use. Um, over the past decade, I've written more than 700 articles for places like Harvard Business Review and Entrepreneur and Fast Company and Forbes. And so I I use that oftentimes as the basis of my material, but I try to weave in stories, weave in uh, tips and insights and things like that to make it memorable. And so I'm I'm glad that uh, for for some people, including my Forbes colleague, that was the case. That's um, it's so interesting. I wonder because I've read a, a good amount of your work. Um, I wonder if we can link up to the season focus for the Better Understanding podcast, which is bringing to light some of the essences of Arrive and Thrive, our new bestseller. And I'm wondering you have seen the notion of thriving shifting in the working context. Well, I, I certainly have. And I, I think you're obviously at ground zero, Susan. You're the expert on this. But prior to the pandemic, and this animated a lot of my recent research as well. I mean, in 2021, I wrote a book called The Long Game, How to Be a Long-Term Thinker in a Short-Term World. And I started ideating about this book 2018, 2019, because so much of what I was seeing was this push to short-termism. And, you know, of course, we're human, right? I mean, people kind of like short-term gratification. That's sort of natural. That's how we're wired. But it was really becoming acute because people had just reached this fevered pitch of traveling so much, racing around so much, you know, sort of chasing, chasing goals, chasing shiny objects, frankly, chasing their tails, and sometimes not even knowing why. I mean, I kept hearing this chorus from smart people of, wow, I just wish I had time to think. Wow, I just wish I had a moment to breathe. And you have to realize at a certain point, you know, it's sort of this stunning realization, but it's like, my God, no one's making us do this. We're choosing this. Why are we choosing this when no one says they want it? And I really wanted to investigate that and to try to come up with some blueprints or some strategies to help people be able to shift their perspective. And so I think during the pandemic, we all got an enforced, uh, I'll say rest in some ways, a rest from travel, a rest from socializing, um, also the opposite of rest in some ways, because most of us were working harder than we had ever worked before. But that shift really prompted many of us to interrogate our assumptions about what thriving meant. I'm curious, how did it change for you in particular? Uh, for me in particular, the writing changed because I had a lot of, so I had a lot of life change during the pandemic and uh, a lot of loss. And I think most importantly, what I realized for me is that thriving is not constant. It's we, we arrive at moments thriving, even during our day, never mind our week, our month, our year. And I'd say also, and you touch on this in long game, but I'd love for you to talk about it is 
some of my closest friends are in their 60s and 70s and they are having the time of their life. They're totally rocking it professionally. They're making more money than they've ever made. It's such a different horizon. What do you think of that? Do you see that too? I know you do, but. Yeah, yeah. I mean, amen to that. I, um, you know, for for years, it's been this kind of glib thing, like, you know, 40s and the new 30 or 50s, the new 30 or something like that. But I mean, the honest truth is that if you look at pictures of like, like, you know, no offense, but I look at my dad, you know, pictures of like my dad when he was 50. And I mean, you know, that's what people look like now when they're 70. (laughs) I mean, things have really changed in terms of how how people keep themselves up. You know, I mean, partly I think it's it's medicine and things like that, you know, healthcare and understanding, but also it's just a shared understanding that like, no, no, you know, decline is not this inevitable thing. If we make smart choices, if we're not smoking, if we're actually exercising, if we are active and if we actually believe that we can be doing things, like there, there's there's literally no way that we need to be stopping prematurely. I think, it, you know, I mean, People, people in their 60s, you know, a generation or two ago, they didn't have teeth, Susan. They, you know, our grandparents did not have teeth. I mean, now everybody has their teeth. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good metaphor. Like, you know what? If you got your teeth, you can still be rocking it. You can still be working. You can be raking in a ton of money because by now you really know what you're doing. So, yes, the game has changed completely. Can you point to a few things that have impacted you and then maybe share with our listeners idea about what you think it takes to thrive? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when it comes to thriving, I I think for me personally, one of the adages that I try to live by is something that I write about in the long game, which is this theory of thinking in waves. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of us just, you know, intuitively or because this is this is what we're pushed toward, often really do try to treat ourselves like machines in the sense that a machine is something that as long as you perform literally just the bare minimum maintenance, you know, like, all right, you got you oiled the joints enough or whatever, mm-hmm. it should be able to keep doing exactly what it's been doing at the same pace on an ongoing and consistent basis for huge amounts of time. And we like to think of ourselves that way, but we are most definitely not that way. Humans are circadian creatures. And just like we have rhythms where, you know, we get sleepy at night and things like that, we also have rhythms across all kinds of time frames. You know, on a day-to-day basis, yes, we need rest, we need to sleep, but also there's career rhythms. You know, early in our career, the correct answer to almost everything is yes. Because frankly, you don't have anything going on. It's not like there's a line of people waiting to meet with you. If somebody wants to meet with you, you probably should say yes. But later on, that is completely the wrong answer because you have you have this huge line of people waiting to meet with you. That might not align with your interests at all. They may be distracting you and you need to focus on what you have determined is most important because now you have the professional wisdom and sagacity to know what it is um also there are periods where 
you need to really hunker down and just put your heads down and, and work and execute. But, you know, and that's good. That helps you advance. But that is in no way how you should be spending your whole life. Um, you need to be resting. You need to be taking breaks. And so we need to think cyclically. You know, it's like the accountant, right? From, from you know, January to April, you need to work like a maniac um, to get people's tax returns done. But in the summertime, you can and you should take it slower because you're going to need to build up those reserves. And I think all of us need to start thinking a little bit more cyclically in that way. I I love that you're bringing this up. It's like energy is not an endless supply forever. And we're not very good, especially Americans. Uh, we're not very good at moderating our work output. But focus on what you deem is most important is great. I've been in a discernment process since the publication of my last book. And I understand from other author friends, that's not uncommon. It's sort of like, uh, it's the closest thing I relate to having a baby. It's a lot of work, as you know. And you can, on the other side of it, it's exciting. And it's also this moment of not doubling down again yet. And so if that's new for me, what is the key to understand what's most important? The way that I think about it, is in many ways, it's it's about what is the first domino? What is the thing that you can be doing that would make anything else easier down the road? And that's that's one piece of it. Another is understanding when you have been doing something for a long time and the marginal benefit of more is not going to help you. I have certain friends, for instance. I mean, there's there's plenty of people who like hate networking and never network. But just as an example, I have some friends that are very, very social. They love to network. And so if you're going to give them a choice of how they should be advancing their business, you know, 99 times out of 100, they'll be like, oh, I'll just network some more. I'll meet with people because that's what's like super fun for them. And that's great. You know, it's wonderful to do the things in business that are fun for you. But if you already have spent lots of time and lots of energy building a strong network, one more person is probably not going to turn the dial in a huge way. I mean, you know, if it's Oprah, maybe that's different. But, you know, for the average person, probably not. And so where we have to get smart is realizing, all right, what is that marginal benefit? And if, if it's not that high it's probably time for us to switch over and devote our energy to something different. So can you give an example of applying this to your own experience, your own sort of process of thriving over your career? Yeah, absolutely. So I think about the earliest days of my business, even before I started my business, honestly. In 2005, that was when I decided that I wanted to become self-employed and I still had my regular day job, but I knew that in about a year I wanted to start my own business. So I was, I was planning. I'm like, all right, I've never had my own business before. I don't really know what I don't know. How can I take a year and prepare myself in a really strategic way? And so I took that year and I just, I made it a learning year. And so my nights, my weekends, I would, you know, I didn't even have a lot of money, so I wasn't even buying books. I was checking things out of the library, but I would check out a bunch of books. I'd read probably two books a week. 
And I just went on this learning binge to try to understand as much about business as I could. And I also signed up for, you know, courses, cheap courses at the local adult ed center. So, I mean, I was taking courses on just basically anything I didn't know about. I took courses on how to design slides in PowerPoint. And I took courses in how to write a business plan. And I wrote, I took courses in uh, how to use QuickBooks, all these kinds of things that I thought would be useful to me somehow as an entrepreneur. But that was my learning year. And it was really valuable. I needed it. But also, some people stay in that too long. They're the people who like endlessly, it's like, well, well, yeah, I'll get one more degree. I'll get one more certification. And, you know, it's good up to a point. But at a certain point, too, it can become a vice because it's like, excuse me, stop getting certified and stuff and actually do something, you know? So you got yeah. to pull the trigger and choose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's so funny. I know we talked about this when I called you about this last book uh, that I wrote. And that is, you know, people people ask me like, how to get started writing a book. And it never ceases to amaze me. They've read about writing. Uh, they've watched, you know, YouTube and, and experts about writing. They've listened to podcasts about writing. But the simple question is, so tell me, are you writing? <laughs> it's, yeah. That, yeah. Uh, you know, so you probably know a lot about writing. At some point, uh, you need to start writing if, you're, if you want to be a writer. Uh, so, uh, so helpful. So there's this really lovely kind of moderation that I'm hearing in the approach to thriving and the approach to sort of managing your time and thinking longer term. What were the trends that you saw? Because you would have been, let's see, you would have been actively writing the last book during the pandemic, if I'm not mistaken, right? I so, was, yes. Yeah. So, so what are the trends you saw at the time and what are the trends you're seeing now that have emerged in our peri, I call it a peri pandemic working reality. Every time I have another phone call from a friend, he's like, I am COVID. I'm like, oh, we're so not out of the woods yet. Um, how and how can, you know, leaders at all levels like thoughtfully engage in this sort of new context we're in? Yes, it's it's such a, a good question and a good point. I mean, dur during COVID, when I was writing this book, literally <laughs> there was the timing was really interesting for me because I got the green light from my editor to write this book on uh, February 28th of 2020. And then within a week, basically, the entire world had ground to a halt and collapsed. So things were happening really, really rapidly. And within a couple of weeks, you know, everybody, of course, jumped on Zoom calls and were starting to commiserate and have all these sessions. And I remember being on one of these kind of big Zoom calls where people were meeting and networking and things like that. And someone literally was like making fun of me because uh, I, I, you know, I said, oh, you know, I just got this book contract. And, and this guy said, well, what's it about? And I said, long-term thinking. And he, he just like burst out laughing. He's like, <laughs> ah, no one needs that anymore. Been too bad for you. <laughs> and, you know, it's a little, it's a little demoralizing. I was like, oh, people need long-term thinking. But. And the truth is, during the pandemic, I mean, in some ways, he's not wrong, because during the pandemic, you do need short-term thinking. You need a lot of it, because whatever plan you're trying to make, I mean, let's leave aside long-term. I mean, you're, you try to make a plan for two weeks in the future, and it was like, oh, sorry, we have a travel ban now. You're not allowed to, like, leave your house, basically. So, um, you know, you just couldn't plan for it. You had no idea. All you could do is do short-term thinking, be reactive, be responsive. That was the name of the game. But 
you know, and, and so it's not that short-term thinking in any way is a bad thing. It is a necessary component. We need it sometimes. But what is also equally true is that you shouldn't, you can't and you shouldn't be doing it all the time. Because when, when you do, it means that if you're permanently reactive, you can never set your own agenda. All you can do is respond to the stimuli around you, which means, you know, you might luck into something good, but more often you will probably be dragged into things that are not what you would have chosen for yourself. So we really do need, I think, to take this time consciously as we are, you know, kind of, sort of, hopefully coming out of all of this craziness and make a conscious recommitment to where we were before and say, you know what, I'm putting my stake in the ground. And even if I have been doing a lot of short-term thinking, now is the time to rebuild my muscles in long-term thinking. I think that's, that's really important. And I think that people are increasingly doing it. I mean, I've certainly been invited by a lot of corporations, especially in the last six months, to give talks about long-term thinking, strategic thinking, because they recognize that our time horizons are lengthening a little bit more. You know, things, thankfully, are getting predictable enough that, you know, we, we believe that it is a reasonable choice for us to, uh, to make some plans. And now we actually should start doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it goes back to the whole Shonda Rhimes' book, The Year of Yes, and I was given it and I gave it away and all that. But it goes back to your thought about when we say no, when we say consciously no, we're saying yes to some to an opportunity to consciously reconnect with what we really want for ourselves. And if there's a gift I hear from what you're saying, it's honoring your heart's true desire with what you want to manifest. I don't know, Dory, at the time that I've thought, okay, I'm clear. I think I want to, I want to go there. Like the universe conspires to help me get there somehow. (laughs) So when we are clear, there's a lot of obviously steps we take, but I do think there's, there's a lot of kismet around if you look around, at least I've found. Yeah, I think, I think that's completely right. And I mean, you don't have to be this sort of like woo, the secret kind of person. Uh, to believe that's the case, uh, it's not. It's not necessarily that, like, oh, I'll speak it into existence. I, I think, I think that there's, you know, like sort of more, more um, prosaic but very rational explanations for exactly what you're describing. I mean, you know, who knows? Maybe the maybe the universe is conspiring for our success. And so, for anyone who who is in that vein, maybe that's the case. Uh, you know, and that would be great. Um, but you know, even if the universe like really couldn't give a crap, um, I do think. That it is 100% true that, number one, how are you going to accomplish any goal if you haven't set the goal, if you haven't articulated the goal? Of course, you need to do that first. And so having clarity, once you have that clarity, it's really, uh, it's really important because it means that you personally are going to be more attuned to opportunities or ways to get there once you even realize what you're looking for. So I think that that sort of tuning yourself into that and uh, and having an internal clarity is extremely important. You're exactly right. And secondly, once you start articulating it to yourself, you're able to articulate it to other people. And that means that they can be scouts for you as well. You know, if if you're telling me, 
oh, wow, Dory, I'd really like to, you know, to do X, you know, whatever it is, you know, hey, I'd really like to get a job in finance or, hey, I really want to find a literary agent or, you know, gosh, I really want to start a side business in coaching or whatever the thing is. If I am your friend and I hear you say that, that enables me to have my own antennae up. And when something appropriate comes along, I'll say, oh, hey, well, you should talk to my friend. And so it it sort of of necessity means that more opportunities will be coming your way. Well, it brings up my next question for you, which is about renewal, which it does happen to be the theme of our 44th Summit Leadership Conference, but renewal and innovation. In what way do you find people shoot themselves in the foot when it comes to renewal? Yeah, well, you know, one one part of it, of course, as we were discussing before, is not understanding or appreciate this, appreciating the cycles that come with uh, just being a human who is attempting to be to perform these tasks in professional yeah. lives. Yeah. So I think honoring that is is one important piece and failing to honor it does lead to a lot of um, burnout and dissatisfaction. But I think additionally, when it comes to renewal, it is understanding that reinvention itself is a crucial part of the process. My very first book was called Reinventing You. And so this is an, an issue that I've spent a lot of time thinking about over the years. We often assume, based on the cultural conversation, that reinvention means what I call capital R reinvention, which is, you know, it's this big deal. You're like changing careers, you know, something huge. And we think of it as this kind of quasi-traumatic event that maybe would happen once in your life. And, you know, yes, that can be an instance of it. But what I also believe is that reinvention is happening around us all the time. It's what I call lowercase r reinvention. And if we actually want to be successful and be prepared for the future, we ought to be thinking in in terms of this, what is the lowercase r that I can be embracing and seeking out so that if circumstances change, if, you know, who knows, you get bored with your job, if your industry changes, if you work for a company that has to have layoffs, you know, whatever it is, the more lowercase r reinvention you have been doing, the less likely it is that you will face a traumatic capital R reinvention without, you know, without your choosing it. It Practicing the muscle of reinvention allows you to stay fresh enough, to be innovative enough so that it's not like, oh, you know, she was static. She didn't learn anything new for the past 10 years. And now when she's forced into something, it goes badly because all of a sudden you have to make up for 10 years of stagnation and suddenly get a new job. You know, that's traumatic for anyone. But if we keep pushing ourselves in small ways, we are, in fact, ready for anything. And the reinventions that we might have to undertake are relatively easy and actually have the opportunity to be exciting rather than traumatizing. Yeah. I want to go back a little and just underscore something for our listening audience. Uh, like you, I get contacted to say, hey, I'm in a transition and I need, I'd love your help. It's surprising to me when I just say, so tell me what you want, how sometimes ambivalent people are about that. And I was like, look, I'm going to help you, but you have to come and come to me and say exactly what you're looking for so that I can be tuned in. So setting the goal first so you personally can 
tune, but also to articulate to others. Super, super helpful before you tap your networks, I've found. The lowercase art reinvention makes me think of Whitney Johnson's work, your friend and mine. She was on a podcast and talked about, of course, the S-curve and sort of disrupting yourself. And I love the overlay. So for those who didn't hear Whitney Johnson's um, interview with us, please tune in because the overlay of Dory Clark's wisdom with Whitney Johnson's wisdom is actually really, really good. It's really good. I think you'll get what I mean. Do I know you know Whitney's work. Do you know what I'm talking about, about the S-curve and disrupting yourself? I do. I do. That's capital R, I think. She talks about capital R disruption. Yeah, I I, I am familiar with uh, with Whitney's great work. She does uh, she does some some really interesting stuff. Do you find that rest or the rejuvenation that is required for reinvention and renewal is that also like capital like lowercase rest? Because I, I think some people think like, oh my gosh, I need to take like a year off from work when in fact they can't afford it. But can you talk a little bit about Maybe this lends into what we address in Arrive and Thrive as well-being practices and self-care practices and maybe lowercase r so that we can renew and innovate and thrive. Yeah, I think you're putting your finger, Susan, on something important. I remember having a conversation a while ago with a friend and she was just feeling really exhausted on a lot of levels. And she was saying to me, you know, I think I need to take a year off. And I was listening and taking all this in. And I said to her, I hear that. Maybe, maybe that's right. I said, just out of curiosity, when was the last time you had a weekend off? And she was like, oh, it's been months. And I thought, maybe you do need a year off, but also maybe you could start with a weekend or like maybe a week. Like we often assume that just because of the intensity of how we're feeling that we need to have a commensurately intense solution. And the truth is, you know, it's possible, but it's also possible that something far smaller, some far smaller intervention could make a really big difference. I mean, it's, it's almost like, you know, oh, I need to, you know, I need to have surgery. I'm in so much pain. And it's like, well, have, have you taken an Advil yet? <laughs> So do you have a favorite self-care practice that you want to share? Oh, man, you know, I, I try to have plenty, but there's lots of there's lots of levels of them. I think for all of us, it's about understanding what is going to be uniquely beneficial for us. So I will say something that I make a lot of time to do, probably a disproportionate amount of time, is I really like to read and it's not even just that I like it. I mean, I, I enjoy it, of course, like a lot of people do. But for me, it's probably the best meditation in the sense that it is a way that I can calm myself down and just get away from my own thoughts and immerse myself in a different world. And so I spend probably maybe a minimum of an hour and sometimes two hours a day reading. I always read before bed for at least a half an hour. And uh, I'll usually read in the morning when I'm having coffee, I'll read on my lunch break. So I'm reading a lot. And that is something that feels very nourishing for me and helps me just kind of get out of the present moment of whatever I'm doing. Love that. Um, that's for a big piece. Sure yeah. I'm also getting a massage tonight. I try to not stint on that. 
I, I used to live, I mean, I, honestly, you know, when I was in Boston, Susan, uh, it was this sort of uh, precious thing because unfortunately, you know, in Boston, everybody has a PhD. And so all your massage therapists are like PhDs in comparative literature. And so they charge like $100 an hour or something. <laughs> it's like, it's very well, like 150 precious. Over. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. It's it's like, <laughs> oh, it's this, you know, spa thing. And I go for super cheap massages now. I try to find like, this is not fancy. This is not fancy at all, but it doesn't have to be fancy. Um, you know, you, you go to somebody who does a good job. I am 100% happy to go to like the cheap salon or, or whatever. It costs yeah. 50 bucks, 60 bucks, but it's fantastic. And it means you can have twice as many of them. So yeah. I try to have massages. Um, I would say on average, it probably comes out to about every two weeks, but it's, um, it's, it's really nice because I am somebody that has a lot of muscle tension. You know, I, I, I wish I could be smart enough to figure out how to not uh, keep getting tense, but uh, I'm working on it. But yeah. body work helps. Yeah, the reality is I am tense, so I try to mitigate that. Well, um, Body Works helps, and so does having like a wildly, phenomenally successful TEDx talk. So you can sit back and think like, gosh, I haven't done enough. Tell tell me a little bit more about this TED talk. I haven't seen it, which I'm going to, but it was just this year, right? So I'm not that late. Ha, you are not too late to the party. To be clear, my my TEDx is not actually about massage. <laughs> <laughs> Glad you, glad you clarified that. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yes, exactly. But but yes, uh, for, for everybody listening, your form of, of uh, self-care can be watching the uh, the TEDx talk. It is called uh, the real, appropriately enough, it's called the real reason you feel so busy and what to do about it. And it is about trying to excavate some of the hidden reasons, some of the, the more subtle reasons why we keep getting ourselves into this trap of forcing ourselves into a busy, overly busy schedule that none of us really wants. And if anyone's interested in checking it out, uh, you can go to doryclark.com slash TED and you can find the talk there. Awesome. Is that where our listeners can also just find all your goodness online? That is where they can find that specific piece of goodness. But if they would like, if they would like other ones, they could go to my, my regular general website, which is doryclark.com. And um, in we've been spending a lot of time talking about long-term thinking and you know strategic thinking. And so I'll just mention, Susan, that if people are particularly keyed up about that, um, I have a free resource that folks can get. It is the Long Game Strategic Thinking Self-Assessment that helps you think through how to apply some of these principles to your own life and your own career. And folks can get it for free at doryclark.com slash the long game. All right. Any final thoughts or piece of advice? That you want to end with today? Oh, I appreciate it, Susan, and I appreciate the chance to to get to talk with you. I I would say that in general, you know, as we're thinking about how to thrive, one of the, I guess I'll say, objections that I hear sometimes when it comes to long term thinking is that people sometimes say, "Oh, I'd like to do long term thinking, but you know." I wouldn't know how to get there. If I had a goal that was a 10-year goal, 20-year goal, I, I just wouldn't know where to start. I wouldn't know, um, you know, even how, how to accomplish it. And so it doesn't seem right for me to name it as a goal. And one of the things that I really have found most empowering is the realization that when it comes to long-term goals, actually the beauty of it, the beauty of it is you don't have to have any idea 
how you're going to accomplish it. I mean, if I have a goal that I'm trying to accomplish by next week, honestly, you really do need to know how you're going to accomplish it because like chop, chop, the deadline is coming up. But if you have a goal that's like a 10-year goal, 20-year goal, it can be as brazen and as outrageous and as big as you want it to be because assuming it does not violate the fundamental laws of physics, all you need to know is what is the vision you have? And then what is one thing you can do to take a step and move the ball forward in a small, slight way? It's about a series of small, slight steps. And over time, you will get more clarity about how to do it. You'll learn more and you'll get closer and you can tweak the formula. But 20, 10 years, 20 years, whatever it is, is a very long time. You don't have to have it figured out today. In fact, it would be awfully premature and presumptuous to assume that you had all the steps figured out today because the world can change a lot. So go ahead, have the biggest goal and dream that you want because you might just be able to get there. Well, I love that. I, given that I've got some big, some big lofty long-term goals, like, you know, creating equity and leadership and eradicating harshness within our own minds, I'm glad to hear that I don't have to know exactly how we're going to do that. Uh, better understanding is definitely a start. So Dory, thank you for joining us today and for bringing your wisdom to our better understanding listeners. I really appreciate you and your work. Susan, thank you so much.